Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, CEO of Digital Dawn, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Here on the Ecom Profit Podcast, I open Pandora's box and share with you and other ecom business owners weekly topics that will help you explode your business online. I outline my tried and true secret sauce, the D2D method, that's guaranteed to bring your business results. As an entrepreneur myself, I try to pull out all the same entrepreneurial passions in others. So get ready to be fired up about your business and let's have a great time. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, and today we have dear friend of mine, Katie Wright, and she is a social media marketing genius, we'll call her, and someone who's been in the business for a really long time. I'm going to let Katie introduce herself. Welcome to the show, Katie. Glad to have you, you here. So much. Thank you so much for having me. I love anytime I get the chance to talk to you. Um, yes, my name, <laughs> my name is Katie. I'm the founder um, and CEO of Strong Brand Social, which is a global content and social media marketing education and consulting firm. Um, at this point, we have helped over 15,000 brands with their social media marketing strategy. So yes, I've been saying, I don't know. I don't know anymore if it's cool or it's crazy that I've been in this field for so long. Um, but here we are. Yeah. Right? Cool or crazy? I don't know. Well, what, which is we it? Don't know. Right? We don't, we don't know. know. Masochistic some days for sure, but um, <laughs> also really, right? really fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Katie and I, I, I think this has been a long time coming having you in, on the podcast, and I don't know why we've waited so long, but Katie and I have been together in many mastermind groups and have worked, uh, you know, in partnership on a couple different projects and things like that. And what I wanted to do today, Katie, is really talk about you know, some of the elements of social media that people kind of get frustrated with. So first and foremost, you just said you've helped, you know, close to 15,000 brands. And I know that you have a very sort of different philosophy on social media than a lot of people do. Can you tell us a little bit about that philosophy and how it's worked so well for these brands? Yes, 100%. So yeah, so I think there's a few things, right? We I speak with so many, so many brand owners and marketing leaders who are just so frustrated because they're doing everything that people say they should be doing and it's not working. Um, and so one of the big, big patterns I see, especially that's shifted in our field in the last, you know, just couple of years re really, is that Meta, you know, Facebook and Instagram, they used to work for the business, the brand, right? All yeah. of the updates that we would hear about were focused on helping businesses reach their customers. All of, you know, we would receive, remember, we would receive like credits for advertising and, yeah. and calls to help the, get the ad set up. Now what's happened over the last couple of years is in an effort to compete with TikTok and YouTube, they're really serving and they're more focused on the content creator. Um, yeah. And so they're paying those content creators to create content, to stay on their platform. And what's happening then is, and if you watch closely when Maseri like rolls out and talks about new features and stuff, he is almost always specifically calling out the creator. Right. Um, and, but then what's, but we don't realize that because it's like the subtext. And then, so it, influencers and creators are, you know, creating lots of reels, for example, or following a really specific strategy and it's a high volume strategy. 
And they're turning around and then teaching that as how to grow your business. Um, And that becomes really frustrating for brands that have so many other things on their plate besides just content creation, right? And so it's not super sustainable. One of the biggest myths that I've found in our industry is this idea that our content strategy has to change every single time the algorithm updates. Like, I don't agree with that because we have, you know, a roster of, of clients that are in our agency and we've been going back to similar growth tactics over, like that I've used over the last 10 years and they still work. We have a hundred percent success rate for growth with our clients. And so there's just, there's just a lot of noise and it's overwhelming yeah. and it keeps brands stuck and it's just really frustrating. And so I'm a really big fan of just taking some big steps back and saying, okay, like what are our unique goals? Every brand has yeah. different goals. Who are we talking to? What are our internal actual resources look like to reach those goals? And then creating our strategy from there. So I I, I totally agree with everything that you've just said and that people uh, particularly small to medium-sized brands that don't have a huge team and small to medium yeah. can be whatever size, but let's just say the average entrepreneurial person has limited resources, right? Or if they do, they've got a, a social media strategist oftentimes or someone that they yeah. think, you know, is doing their marketing for them and posting. And they get really frustrated because they hear they have to post every day or they don't post every day or they only post this or this doesn't work. You kind of have a philosophy that you've broken it down to make it kind of more simple, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. But tell us a little bit about your philosophy on, you know, if I only have so many hours in the day and I yeah. only have so many resources, what should I be doing with my time? Do I post every yeah. day? Do I not post? What do I what do? I do? Is my social media yeah. person really worth all the time I'm paying him or her to do those types of yeah. things? Yeah. Right. And because too, when we can get to this later, half the time, we're not even really clear on what we should expect in terms of business results from social. It's one thing if we're talking about a sales funnel that uses social advertising, it's another one we're talking about this like ongoing content machine. So um, I've been thinking, I've been like thinking a lot lately. There's kind of a lot of our clients too, right? They're not these ravenous social media users. It's like they're more, they don't want to just be spending a lot of time there if they don't need to be. So I've been kind of thinking about how there's really, in my opinion, there's three ways to get better performance and grow faster with social media um, while spending less time there, right? So the first is having a much sharper content strategy than we have. And we can get further into this, right? This is where I really like to see us change the definition of content pillars from like categories and topics to pillars that actually align to a specific business goal that we have, like audience growth, sales, and loyalty. Um, So that's the first first thing that we want to see. The second is, I've been kind of thinking about it as like 80% algorithm proof. Like instead of having 100% of our content be chasing Mm -hmm. these trends and chasing the algorithm, let's lean into tactics that have been working, don't depend on the algorithm, right? And then the third is, depending on where you're at, the third is successful delegation. So I talk to people all the time that say, I hired someone to do my social media and it was a total disaster. Yeah. And I mean, I must hear that five times a week. And so the question really becomes, well, okay, does every social media marketing manager, are they bad at their jobs? Or is there something that we need to be doing and giving them as a roadmap that leads to actual successful delegation and keeping it off your plate? 
Um, so those are kind of three ways that I like to look at how can we, yeah. how can we get the results we're looking for without driving ourselves crazy? <laughs> well, let's dig into those because that's a little yeah. bit different, right? Than yeah. maybe what some people have heard in the past about content yeah. buckets and what you post yeah. and how you post and when you post and all those kinds of things. But I feel like this is almost recession proof, right? So much yeah. algorithm proof or, you know, it kind of keeps you from having to come up with the newest, best kind of thing yes. all the time. Yeah. So let's yeah. dig into number one a little bit more about what you mean specifically with getting really focused. What what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say too, the recession proof mentioned for me, it's like no matter what in like economy we're in, but especially during a recession, we just want to be as efficient with our resources as possible. Totally. So the first, the first step is really making sure um, you know, there's some pre-work before we can come up with what these pillars are. We want our brand to have a really, really strong point of view that cuts through the noise in a crowded industry, right? And so that yeah. looks like really understanding, building off your UVP. And sort of my formula for that is like, here's the status quo of our industry. Here's how it's not serving our customers. Here's what we do instead. So once we have that really fleshed out, we can say, okay, cool. What is, how does this look? Um, and how does this feel? And what are we saying? So I, it's wild to me. I have never seen anyone else talk about content pillars in a way that aligns them to their goals, which surprises me. If you Google it, you'll find pages and pages and pages talking about categories, themes, buckets, mm -hmm. like you said. So for me, I'm like, well, but okay, if we think about the customer journey, you know, yep. anytime we're talking outside of social media, if we talk about advertising, if we talk about e-com, we're always talking about the customer journey. Like right. we're thinking about it that way. I don't know why we're not thinking about that for social. So, you know, we know that there is different storytelling that's yep. going to get someone's attention than the storytelling that is going to get them to convert, than the storytelling that's going to get them to tell their friends about you, right? So right. my three pillars, I want to see aligned to those key business goals. I want to see one pillar that the whole point of the pillar is to drive audience growth and demand generation. And I want to see one pillar that it, the whole point is to drive sales. And then I want to see a pillar that the whole point is to drive either loyalty in terms of higher you know, customer values or word of mouth. Um, right. And the other thing is once you actually do it that way, there's two kind of things you can do. Number one is you can tactic stack, right? So like if we know that the purpose of this content is to do a certain thing, yeah. then we can layer on tactics like hashtags or, you know, a little bit of paid spend or partnerships or what have you working with a content creator, or maybe we know this should be in a reel, right? Those, those tactics that are our industry spends the most time talking about this yeah. gives them a place to go. Um, so yeah, I think I just, that was a so, lot. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I, and let's just break this down for, for our listeners. So the UVP is your unique value proposition. So what makes you different from other people in your industry? So for example, a lot of our listeners are e-com business owners. So it's what's unique to your product or your specific brand or your specific thing, your widget that you're selling, what makes that unique versus all the other widgets that I can find, right? So if I'm a marketing agency, what's different about me as a marketing agency versus all the other marketing agencies that are out there, right? So this unique value proposition, and I think this is something that so many people just skim through when they're thinking about mm -hmm. their content as well, where they mm -hmm. don't really spend the time. I mean, I work with a lot of brands at the agency that are 
very focused on the environment. They're very focused on making the world a better place. They give back. They do these things. Well, that to me is just one example of how unique their brand can really be, but they never talk about it or they never bring it up or nobody ever knows or any of those kinds of things. What are some things that you would, you know, kind of highlight as ways to kind of tell people your unique value proposition? I mean, what are some things that businesses should be looking at when they're thinking about how to set themselves apart that way? Yeah, I think it's really important, like you were just pointing out about if we were using that sort of sustainable angle of UVP, then I would be asking the question, okay, but so then putting myself in my customer's shoes, right? And really thinking about like, okay, so what are their other options? What are they seeing? And what are the big questions that they have with environmental kind of aspects of a brand or sustainability We know that depending on which industry, there might be questions about greenwashing or they might like questions about, Mm -hmm. right? So how are we making sure that in our marketing messaging, we're really clear about our very specific point of view? So for example, we have a client who is um, America's first circular retailer, right? Mm -hmm. It's like there are already clothing rental companies that is more sustainable than fast fashion. That's great. But if nobody is actually dealing with end of life, if we are not dealing with like creating um, products with sustainable materials that can be composted at the end of their life, stuff is still going into the landfill, right? right. So they have to figure out a way to say, so their, their sort of point of view and, and how they communicate their UVP is their target market is new moms. Who, mm. So there's no one that has more burden of what my purchases are doing to the planet. My kids are growing yeah. so fast and I have to, what am I doing about this? So it's sort of like their point of view is like, look, you know, we think that the status quo of the retail industry like is totally bogus, right? And yeah. there's nobody that it impacts. It, it basically misplaces the burden of responsibility here onto the buyer when it should be the industry. And no one's more impacted by that than the um, new mom that's carrying all this stuff. And we don't think the things you buy should also be your burden. And so we deal with all of it, right? And and then they explain like, we have a full circular model. So when you come to us, you don't need to worry about this, that, or the other thing. Like, And then they can say, especially if you're doing something kind of new, right? They can say, this is now the new standard of the industry. When you shop with us, we can stop pretending, right, that the reason why other brands don't do it is because it's too difficult. Well, we figured it out. So, you know what I mean? And so I think really trying to identify when you're looking, I look really in two places, right? Your target market, their values, what their options are, and then evaluating those options are your competitive set and really figuring out like, you know, what it's, it's not enough to be sustainable. It's like, how are you doing it in a way that's different than everybody else? So you just explained that in like two minutes in a way that would be content for days, right? For somebody, right? And then, then you said also too, though, then finding the right container that it goes into and the right place on the social media platform. So everybody thinks it needs to go because TikTok's the thing or because reels are the Mm -hmm. thing or because this is the thing. Well, maybe Mm -hmm. it's not the right place for it. You got to figure out where your people are and where that message lands the best. A hundred. I think we spend so much time. Like the fact is, would it be great to meet our customers on every single platform that we can? Yes. But growth happens from where you are right now. So right. 
like if we're too focused on where to show up, we're not spending enough time and we haven't yet said, but what are we saying there? Yeah. Then like you're still just adding noise to the ch- echo chamber, right? Like right. I would rather see a really, really sharp and clear point of view on one platform for a while and you see that that's working and it's driving increased traffic to your website and increased conversions and all that. Okay, cool. Now we can adapt that. These storytelling, these, when you have your content pillars properly sorted, it's, it's platform agnostic, it's algorithm proof. Like it, you can take it wherever it goes. Right. So it might be that TikTok we use mostly content there is for demand generation and audience growth because it's a really high growth yeah. channel. And we know people are shopping maybe less there than other platforms. Yeah. Um, so you know what I mean? Once you, once you identify, yeah. right, here are the stories we tell for, for attention. Here are the stories we tell for sales. Here are the stories we tell for loyalty. You know, like, yes, we come at it from a social point of view too, but those sales stories are what we're talking about over email as well. Right. It's like yep. we sort the platforms out after, but everybody is so concerned I just think that's it, right? With the social media marketing industry, there's so much noise. There's so much blanket one fits all advice and it's completely distracting right. like brands from doing the actual work that will make sure that they are successful when they arrive to those platforms. I, I love that. Okay. So let's move on to number two on the, the content pillar side of things. Yeah. And you talked about yeah. this being kind of like 80%. So talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what that, what does that mean? Is it kind of like the 80, 20 rule or are you kind of like, what, what example can you give for that? Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I've been thinking about that too. I'm like, I think it might be like the opposite of the 80, 20 rule. But so the idea is just, the idea is like, okay, so once we have, there's kind of, in my mind, there's three phases to growing our brand online. The first is strategic. Who are we talking to? What are we saying? What does it look like, feel like, and sound like? And that's what we're talking about in the pillar section. Then we're asking ourselves tactically, how are we going to get the message in the right place at the right time for ultimate resource efficiency? And that's when we start to say, we're asking questions about what platforms we're going to be on. We're asking questions about how often we're going to post. We're asking questions about what those formats are going to look like, what hashtags we're going to use. All of those more tactical questions that we spend way too much time on. Yeah. But, um, so for me, I have two tactics. One is paid and one is free Mm -hmm. that we've been using with our clients for 10 years and they always work. Um, and so it just, it makes me like face palm when people are like, Oh, you have to change everything every time the um, algorithm changes. Cause I'm like, we have proof across dozens of industries that that's not true. So my, my, the first is what we call the new boost. Um, Advertisers, (laughs) like really high performing advertisers will probably roll their eyes a little bit. But for us, what that means is I had a moment in 2019, like we do social advertising and we do just organic content, right? And so we would always just put aside a little bit of spend for boosted posts just to drive engagement, more Mm -hmm. reach on content that was really resonating with our people. And we would do this for every, it was really small budgets, but we would do this for every client. And there was one month in the summer of 2019 where all of our client reports came back. And in that month, the efficacy of that tactic was like 25% results Mm -hmm. on the dollar as it had always been. And we're like, yeah, that's weird. Because usually with boosting, you're just kind of letting it do its thing, automatic audiences, automatic placements. So what we started saying is, okay, based on the pillar, if it's for attention, sales, or word of mouth, let's try to kind of 
basically it's like a micro engagement campaign, right? So instead of just yep. hitting the promote, instead of just hitting the promote button, we'll make a tiny little ad out of it. Um, and if it's pillar one, we'll send it to people who look like our audience. If it's pillar two, we'll send pe retarget people back to our website and so on. And then that sort of, if you have a really great pillar one piece of content, that's also building your audiences for your sales funnel. And it's yep. just sort of creating this ripple effect. Um, and those are like, I'm talking 10 to $20 budgets on a piece of, on a piece of content. Yeah. Um, but what that allows us to do, because everybody thinks that there is an engagement issue, but right. it's not, it's most of the time it's a reach issue. Meta is just killing our reach. So right. if, so this is like, we just bypass the algorithm, right? And it's, if you have the, if, if you're one disclaimer is if, if you're doing a bunch of reels and they're working for you, don't stop. But if you're right. <laughs> frustrated and you don't have, you don't feel like you're good with reels or you don't feel like you have what you need for video content. Our clients still get incredible results on their photo content as well, as long as we just say like buy algorithm and circumvent it and get it in front yeah. of people that we want to see it. The other right. really nice thing about that is that we're increasing the shelf life of the content. Like we can put 20 bucks, it will go further for three days, which means we don't necessarily need to post every single day because that content is working harder for us. So yeah. that's the first one. It requires a little budget. The second for me is partnerships. Like Mm -hmm. We want to partner with content creators that are on the algorithm and doing great with that. There's different ways to set up your partnership. I like partnerships with other brands. I like partnerships with influencers. I like partnerships with your customers. And I usually set up some sort of framework where maybe there's one big partnership happening a month for audience or email acquisition, but you can also have like micro influencers, right? If you have an e-com product and you have a product that you don't mind giving away, say four units per month, you could have every single week, a third party, it's not yeah. happening on your feed, right? Doing a giveaway with their audience if, they're, if their fans follow you, right? So that's another right. way to like, it doesn't depend on the algorithm. It always works. Yeah. Um, and so those are my top two sort of algorithm proof tactics that we just make sure are in our clients' growth roadmaps and they always work well. Okay. So I'm going to, and I'm going to, ask you a couple questions about each one of those because right. when you say boosted post, like give me yeah. real specifics on what that means. So like when I see, and I, I, I'm, I know what you mean, but I'm playing dumb here a little bit. So when, when, when I see the, the post and I can literally click boost from Facebook, mm -hmm. I should be doing that is what you're saying, or should I be doing a reach engagement campaign? So I would be doing, so it used to be, I would not hit that promote button anymore unless yeah. you have your audiences sort of set up in a way that they're pulling the right, like who you want to send it to. Now what I would do instead is avoid the promote button and then in business manager, actually take that post ID. Yep. And for the pillar one objective, I'm usually doing, I mean, you could do reach for pillar one. If you had a video, it might be video views for pillar one. A lot of times we're doing engagement. Um, yeah just because then that's a really easy way. I mean, video views would pull them into your funnel as well, but reach, I don't know if that would necessarily. So, um, so we'll do the engagement objective for pillar one and we'll usually do clicks or profile visits for pillar two. Um, and then pillar three just kind of depends on what the content is. We oftentimes yeah. see pillar three content gets the most, that's really like behind the scenes, mission, vision, values, founder content that often gets the most comments. Yeah. Um, and so we might, we might optimize that for an, uh, an engagement objective as well. Got it. Okay. I just wanted to be clear on that because a lot of people yeah. see that promote button and go, oh, promote. And I'm like, you might as well just light your money on Don't. fire because that's not. Exactly. 
what that's intended to do. There is a there is a time and a place for that, but that's not what this particular well, campaign I mean is too. about. It used to it mm. used to work when yeah. it was the boost button. Like in twenty before twenty nineteen, we would see that that the platform was sending it to people who right. were valid prospects and it was yeah. working really well, but it does not anymore. Don't do that. Does not. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So clarifying that, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second piece of that is partnerships. So one of the things that yeah. I get from a lot of our businesses that maybe aren't quite agency ready, but or are agency ready working with us that think that they need an influencer. So they mm-hmm. need an influencer or they want to get an influencer because they, they've heard and think and that's the whole thing. So tell me a little bit of, of what is, in your opinion, the difference between a partnership and an influencer and why is one better yeah. than the other? That's a really interesting question. Yeah. The first thing I would say is when people say that to me too, I'm like, I like to use the analogy of like most of us like to clean up our house before we bring people over. And so yeah. if our content is not looking really sharp, we do not want to be we're we're out of sequence if we start working with with influencers. Yeah. Um yeah. and then for me partners are like this broader bucket, right? Because mm-hmm. Partners are anyone that we're working with to extend the reach of our brands. So that really can be an, another organization, a non-direct, like a, an industry adjacent sort of brand. Yep. Yep. Um, I think of influencers, I guess, yeah, like there used to be these three tiers, right? Macro, mid, and micro influencers. In my experience, it's certainly true that micro influencers move the needle more on sales. I've heard a yeah. brand story of someone paying for uh, Kim Kardashian as an influencer and like not getting a single conversion. Um, <laughs> so right. that was really fun and interesting. Um, yeah. So so for me too, like affiliates might fit in that bucket. Yep. I always say like I always think about a transition from an influencer relationship to an affiliate like partnership, right? So if we yeah said, hey, we're going to do 20, we're going to reach out, like try to have 20 influencer activations. And we then measure what, um, like the efficacy of each one of those partnerships, the ones that drove the best results for us and that felt the best working with, we might then invite over into an affiliate program. And they're really a partner now that has like a skin in the game in terms of of sell-through. So that's how I think about that. Good. Yeah, because I think so many people think that influencers are the thing that's going to take their business to the mm-hmm. next level. And I think you and I both know that that's not necessarily true, right? In all yes. cases, it does work. And I have seen it work really well for some brands, but that's not to your point, get your house in order first. And then yeah. even if you are going to go that route, paying $1,000 for one post is not sustainable no. and it's not a strategy for long term. But an affiliate program or affiliate partnership would be something. A is, bit more yeah. Yeah. And I skipped over one of my favorite buckets, which is like, I like to think about this content creator micro influencer bucket that is really effective for bootstrapping brands. Because if we, a lot of times we get all caught up in like, oh, they need 50,000 followers. And they don't really, they just need, honestly, a couple thousand followers that aren't your followers yet. And that would be interested in your, again, like progress is from the point we're at now. So, um, and usually write those micro influencers that might have a lower following, but if they create great content, they're likely to partner with you for product exchange. Exactly. So that's yep. really, really effective. And then you can lean on them for the reels and for that kind of stuff. So 
Um, and then it's like, it's obviously incredibly efficient to have a supplement to whatever content you're able to create for your brand itself. You know, having things, fresh content come in from content creator partners is really great. Yeah. And I think you, you said something really interesting is, you know, progress is from the point you're at right now. Right. And I hear so many smaller e-com brands or any brands for that matter say, well, you know, I, I'm trying to grow my list by, you know, two, five, 10,000, whatever the number is. And I always ask them, could you handle that many orders? If you were yeah. to have that many people, could you actually yeah. even handle that? And most of the I time know. it's no, they couldn't. So I'm like, then why are you so focused on the number when the reality is you couldn't fulfill that at this point, yeah. you couldn't are, do it. You're like, are you emailing your current list? Right. Or do we just need to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, right. That's exactly it. And I think that's another thing. I mean, I think a lot of t- times – you and I probably have a similar thing where we're talking to prospects and they're coming with all of these, like, is that goal because we've done the met, we've like done the calculations and we know yep. we have enough product to sell. And so if we get this many email subscribers, yep. that means we'll get this much more traffic. Or are you just, is it a should? Like, I think I should yep. be doing this. Like the, right. the clients that I consult with inside of Strong Brand Social, I'm routinely cutting their to-do list in half because I'm like, I'm looking at your goal. And then I'm looking at all of these different things you're planning to reach your goal. And like, you have a lot of extra stuff on there that I know is just because our industry is telling you through dancing reels and TikToks that you should be doing this. And this is what like the winners are doing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we just need to, I think, empower ourselves enough to, we don't need to know how to do everything. We just need to be a little bit dangerous enough to like think for ourselves so that we can shut out the noise and customize our our roadmaps to our actual goals and resources. Yeah. Well, and that kind of goes to your number three pillar, right? About the delegation Mm -hmm. piece and finding what is working correctly Mm -hmm. for people and how that works. So, you know, a lot of times, again, people will have hired a VA and they're their poster person and, or they are saying, you know, hey, I got this person for, you know, really an affordable price and she's doing all my social and so on and so forth. And she's doing okay job and maybe it's pretty graphics and maybe she's got some Canva templates and things like that. And then they're like, oh my gosh, how come this doesn't work? Right. But they're delegating. Increased sales. Yeah. Right. But they're delegating and and they've been told get someone else to hire or post for you. That's not a CEO job. So what does that mean, the delegation piece? And I think you know it's effective delegation, right? First and foremost. But who and how you're delegating to, I think is even more critical. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think there's, there's really two problems that I see when folks aren't able to delegate in a way that keeps it off their plate. It's what you just described where it's like, it's just not effective. And then the other one is if we really love our brand, sometimes people are like, like it's cringy, like that's not hitting the mark and we don't even know why. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's, I have this story. So I started my, my, career at Burton Snowboards, which is an amazing brand. It's a global action sports brand. It's the biggest snowboarding company in the world. I had actually worked directly with the founder and the owner for in his office for a couple of years before moving into marketing. So I had like a very, very, very good sense of the brand and our customers and our voice and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And social is really interesting, right? Because our work is on display. Like I remember yeah. this was back in 2011 or something. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting paid, you know, 50 grand a year and like 
the CMO and the CEO and the owner all have things to say about my work and they're seeing it all of the time. That's a very strange dynamic that does not yep. occur in most people's jobs. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, I, I was really like, I was a real DNA yeah. of this brand, like really had a good sense on it. And so it was so interesting to see that sometimes I would, you know, maybe 85% of the time it was all good. Everything felt great. And, but then there were these times that there was conf like not only feedback of that didn't feel on brands, sometimes that feedback would actually conflict among leadership. Like yeah. you'd hear one person saying one thing and I was like, huh, that is so interesting. And, you know, that was back in the very early stages of, of social. So I'm not sure that they would have been able to do anything differently. But I was like, wow, like there is so much operational waste when you think about employees yeah. not really knowing and so for me, that's when I realized like there's just a big gap in between what is crystal clear as a founder in your mind about what your brand strategy is and mm -hmm. how someone would be able to read your mind and execute that yeah. on that every yeah. week, if not every day. Right. So right. for me, you know, it's just, it's really important to, it's like that, I think it's in, it was an Abe Lincoln quote that's like, give me five minutes to chop down a tree and I'll spend three minutes sharpening my ax. Like, yeah, it's really important to do the legwork of yes. identifying what your content strategy should be. And then, so we've talked about those pillars. I like to see a playbook for each pillar. Like this is 10 examples of what this content looks like. This is not what it looks like. And yeah. going through that work and that will set who, whoever you're working with up for success. And I think that it's a huge myth. It's true. We all are told as entrepreneurs, you need to delegate this. You need to delegate this. Yep. Yep. The truth is, I used to say like our agency used to get paid $30,000 for a content strategy. And it was like, okay, our framework we have, we can do that part pretty quickly. Most of that money is going to onboard us to yeah. your brand. So, right. you know, the founder really does have the most information and institutional knowledge of your brand, of your market, of your product, of your customer. And those are the things that really mean you're able to come up with a strong point of view and know kind of what those pillars should look like and what your brand storytelling yeah. should look like. So I think, you know, maybe you don't have the process for doing that, but I have like, I have heard of very few success stories where, yeah. you know, you go get outside help and that an agency or really with that, with that storytelling part, like your performance yeah. marketing, your advertising, everything else is going to be so much more efficient and drive better results if it's stacked on top of a strong brand storytelling framework, which is basically what we're talking about, right? So yeah. that is how you get better results. It's how you delegate in a, in a more effective way that it actually yeah. stays off your plate because, you know, there's guardrails and there's a roadmap that help people see and, you know, help people read your mind. So, yeah. well, and, and that's such a good point because I think so many times we feel like everybody should just understand it. Right. And if you, yeah. you would never do that with say something operational inside your business, you would never do that with yeah. like a piece of manufacturing or a piece of product creation of your e-com brand. You'd never say, Hey, just go for it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Just do it kind of thing. But yeah, we're so quick to say, okay, good. I hired somebody for social media. Now that's off my plate. And then we're sorely and oftentimes really disappointed with the lack of success. But how is someone supposed to read your mind when there isn't right. anything there to play off? Yeah. Of? Well, and I think that that loops back around to where we started this conversation, which is because we're being told and most people think that like what makes great social media is like the hashtags you're using or the formats yeah. you're publishing in. But like, that's not 
that's not it. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And it, and I think, I think the, I have to remind myself (laughs) and, and my clients, like the social media industry is, is the media industry. Like if you have a gripe with, with headlines and the news and, and clickbait and all that stuff, like this is what we're talking about. So there's a reason why you're, it's, it's overwhelming. It's super chaotic and it perpetuates, Mm -hmm. perpetuates this. I think the small business owner, the bootstrapping kind of entrepreneur wants to just like solve it by throwing money at it. But it's yep. like, if you, if you can empower yourself to learn just a little bit more so that you're not wasting your money on, on tactics yep. that don't apply to you, that's right. Ideal. <laughs> ideal. Well, listen, we have talked, I mean, we could go on and on for hours, I think about All this night. stuff yeah. and we could talk <laughs> forever about it, but I think you've really given us some very concrete, tactical plans and and ideas. I know I took some notes of things even for the agency that we should be looking at a little bit differently. But if people want to find out more about you and Strong Band Social or the offerings that you have, where can they find you and more information? Yep. Strongbrandsocial.com and uh, our, our social media handles are Strong Brand Social as well. Perfect. Well, we will drop everything into the show notes. Um, And I so appreciate you taking the time and talking with us about this. We may bring you back and just talk about one of these pillars for 30 minutes or more. That's great. Go into it. it. Go deep. Right? Right? This is amazing. So thank you so much, Katie, for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dawn. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you've heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see if you're a good fit to work with the Digital Dawn team, head over to digitaldawnagency.com forward slash contact and let's book a call. Thanks so much again and until next time.